Welcome to Change the Stigma Podcast, where we dive deep into the senior living industry in a real and raw way. This podcast is sponsored by Sotir Senior Living and Family Advocates. Now here's your host, Troy Denall. All right. Well, welcome back. This is, I believe, episode three of our fun-filled podcast systems. This is uh, my name is Troy Denault. I'm with Sotir Senior Living and Family Advocates, and uh, here today I'm excited. We're we're going to be talking a little bit about COVID and senior living. It's kind of the the big word that's out there right now. Everybody's all over the news and all over the press and all over. We've been dealing with this pandemic stuff for a a about a year now, and it's a uh, I'm actually sitting here today with Shannon Wilcox. She's a longtime director of nursing and does a lot of consulting throughout the state of Florida. Um, has actually traveled your your career. You've actually traveled around for major assisted conglomerates yep. and made sure that they were survey ready. And now you actually train ALF administrators on yep. on how to be administrators. But I figured in bringing you in because you do a lot of. Uh, I know you also do with the consulting side and going around and seeing a lot of different nursing departments and with a lot of different communities that you've probably got a really good pulse on um, what's been going on with COVID today and what it looks like today than what it looked like I'd say six months ago so I wanted to bring you in so that we could get down to and and talk about some of these different pieces of COVID because there's a lot of fear around it still and I know the state has been letting up on a lot of things and the regulations have been lightening but I just wanted to get down to some brass tacks some real world information for people that here in in February of 2021 what it looks like in senior living what it looks like in assisted living so that we can kind of see where we've come from to where we're going so thank you for for coming in today and absolutely and, 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 and chatting it up a little bit with me today <laughs> um, so we'll just start off I guess we'll just start off with you know what how just what have your experiences been over the last eight, six months when it comes to, you know, COVID? What are some of the things you've been seeing and experienced in your travels around the state in this fun-filled assisted living environment? It's been interesting. I know when, when COVID first started, uh, I was actually consulting in a building. And so, and everything was just shut down. Everything came to a halt. And, and that was very traumatizing for the residents because they couldn't understand why can't I see my loved one? And then we came up with, well, it's okay as long as you stay six feet apart. So then we would station places and then realizing we weren't even supposed to be doing that. So we stopped that, of course. So hold on. You were in a building when you heard about what this COVID thing was. Yes. Yes. And then all of a sudden they give you guidelines and now yep. you're telling families you can't come in anymore. Correct. Which, of course, they're saying some of them, I think that the response was about 50-50, actually. Um, some of them fully understood and said, I just want to keep mom and dad safe, grandma, grandpa, whoever it was. Um and then the other ones are like, uh, this is just bogus. It's not real. Uh, we actually had a family member yeah. come in and, and what she claimed was jokingly, but very seriously was coughing in the faces of the staff. And so, you know, we had to quickly educate that that was not going to be tolerated. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then, you know, as, as the p- pandemic kind of grew and, and there was so much conflicting because of the newness information that was coming out. It's been a challenge. Um, Some of the buildings that I've consulted with have been very lucky. Up until recently, they didn't have any COVID cases. Um, It's been over probably, I would say, the past four or five months that I'm really working with buildings that have had more and more. Um, I'm working with one building that they're on their second round of COVID. 
had it completely gone um and then they got it back and and a great deal of it is you know either a family member came in and didn't know they had it right or a staff member you know because unfortunately we still have you know folks that that don't believe in the masks and so that creates a challenge you know especially when you have staff that that don't necessarily believe in it or they do it while they're at the building but don't do it when they're away from the building right well i think we've all gotten conflicting information on those cloth masks and if they cover if they are actually effective or Mm -hmm. not effective and then the surgical mask and there's all kinds of and then the shield things that they've got out there so i mean right. do you have any insights on absolutely so what i have learned has been it actually more in the past i would say three months okay so there was a building i so it took worked. nine months for us to get here but, yeah to uh, really okay. get here I, yes I'm, I'm with you all to right. really get here <laughs> um so we had a building where we had actually five residents that had an outbreak and so some of the challenges that we faced was in the first one um, the very first gentleman had covid he tested positive on a rapid we tried to send him to the hospital because he was symptomatic and um, he had a spouse that lived with him on oxygen but she was negative on a rapid and so we sent him out to the hospital hospital says oh we, we can't find anything and so other than the positive covid he's doing just fine and tried to send him back and i said okay the respiratory symptoms are unfortunately not just fine. And and as a nurse, I advocate for my residents. And and it's not just the resident that we sent out. It's the resident I still had that was negative. Well, that and the rest of the building. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, right? we can isolate to a room yeah, as long but, as you don't have a cognitive impairment that right? keeps them coming out consistently because they don't understand. So or a fork that they've touched comes out of the correct. room. Correct. Right. Absolutely. So it does. It creates that challenge. So, you know, the hospital... You know, we had to go back and forth quite a bit. And and it got to a point where they actually said, you know, we're going to turn you in. We're going to turn you in and report you. And I said, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. Oh, they're going to call ACA on you. Yes, okay. absolutely. All absolutely. Right. And I said, okay, <laughs> um, I that's fine. Because you're that's not taking a COVID positive patient back, patient back. to okay. put in a room with a COVID negative on, on oxygen. Okay. So I said, absolutely. Please, you know, by all means, go ahead and report me. I'm still not bringing that resident back. Right. We need to place them. So then what I was told by the hospital, I thought was really interesting. And of course, not naming what ones. um, But I was told by the hospital that their policy was that if a resident comes to them with known COVID positive case, they don't have to place them into a COVID facility. And I said, okay, but if they come to you and we don't know, then you know, you'd have to place them. And they said, absolutely. And I said, okay. So at the end of the day, they they did keep that resident to try to keep him safe. Unfortunately, the spouse did, in fact, test positive later. But when she became symptomatic, I didn't test her. I sent her to the hospital. Because right. unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. it ties my hands. No, right. Yeah. Right. Because the second I test her and it's known, I can't get her care. So so it does create that challenge in between hospitals and assisted livings to be able to get these people the care that they need. And I get it. The hospitals, though, on their defense, they're dealing with some really sick people right now. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. every bed is, is a crucial bed. Right. And so I understand it. Um, it doesn't make it any easier for us that are trying to protect the others. So there's really just that dynamic there that, that creates a... Um, 
just difficult situations on both sides. All right. Now, has it gotten better so, here over the last, I'd say, over the last few months and when as things are coming back around? Or I think this new spike is what you're talking about. Right. With this new spike that's come through, that's when this specific situation Correct. you're talking about happened. Correct. Okay. Correct. Right. What was nice is after we um, we were able to isolate the five residents in the particular building, um, they're all doing fantastic today. We lost not a one. Nice. What I thought was interesting, though, is not one had a fever. Huh. Not one. And so I thought, you know, when I spoke with the paramedics a couple of times for folks we were sending out for other reasons, um, they said, you know, it's, that's what they're seeing more and more is there's not the same symptoms. So not to specify what those symptoms may be, because everyone can be different. Right, right. But they did not. Um, they thought it was interesting, too. The, you know, at that point in time, a lot of the complaints were shortness of breath versus actual fevers and things. So the Department of Health came in. Um, and I did. I learned a lot. We had a, we're working with an epidemiologist who was wonderful. Um, she shared things with us like the last order that was actually sent out does specify there ha- that in order to go into an assisted living, it has to be a surgical mask. It does specify that. Um, cloth masks are not approved. Um, and then you hear that conflicting story where... Um, like even Dr. Fossey came out and said, you know, it's okay to double mask. And and so I took that back to the Department of Health and said, okay, you're telling us not to double mask because that was one of the recommendations. Um, but you're also, you know, we got Dr. Fossey telling us to double mask. And she said, well, he wasn't very clear on, on the situation for it. So, and, you know, she updated us and shared, you know, that, you know, if you double mask, the problem is when you do that, your breath actually will degrade the mask quality much faster. Okay. The the first layer. So it, it really is kind of pointless when it comes to that. Now, if you have a cloth mask and a surgical mask and you want to wear two, you know, that's that's your choice. Everybody has to do what's right for them. Right. But um, you're saying right now in an assisted living to date February, mid-February, right. surgical mask is what is, is what's required. Is what's required yes. in an assisted living. Correct. Or the hospital or a skilled nursing or basically Correct. any senior living environment. Correct. As we're going to. We're going to quote that. Correct. Right? Um, and then the other part, you know, she had shared with us folks walking in, even, you know, family members, caregivers, essential caregivers or compassionate caregivers, depending on the phrase you use. All right. Um, you know, we had folks that were walking in while she was there that had the cloth masks on and, and we had to switch them out. We had to get them to switch them out. Okay. So, so they're very... Um, what about those shield things that you see in, like, the Super Bowl coaches are running around with and stuff like that? Are so those, the shields are great. They're great? Um, you still have to... Not okay in assisted living. Uh, they are. They right. are. But they're also very, very, very expensive. Right, right. So when you're looking at costs, um, it's uh, astronomical, in my opinion, of, of what that costs. So you're telling me that shield thing is okay mm-hmm. in an assisted living? A surgical mask is okay in an assisted living, but a cloth mask is not. Correct. Isn't that shield thing got like openings on the sides? It does, but you still have to have a mask on, even Uh, with the shield. Okay, okay, the the shield shield and the mask. Yes. Roger that. Okay, all right. The other part is, is eyewear. So crazy. I know. The other part is eyewear. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, the the Department of Health recommends that for the eyewear, at least that's what we were told, um, anytime your county is above 10% of cases, you should have eyewear on as well. Eyewear? Yes. Like sunglasses? All the time. Well, the goggles or the face shields. Okay. Something that's going to protect your eyes. Um, (laughs) So what I did... So invest in Speedo right now. Right. Those goggles are perfect. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know about that, but... But what we did find out is that, you know, for cost effectiveness, 
is if you have the face shields, we were using them specifically for the COVID rooms. And so, because when you go into a COVID room, you have the sign that ACA recommends you place. Mm -hmm. um, we have PPEs outside the room. Mm -hmm. And so you, you're going to gown, you're going to mask, you're going to glove, and you want to make sure that you really know which one to put on first, how to put it on and how to take it off without contaminating, mm -hmm. contaminating yourself or risking contaminating the resident. Mm -hmm. And so you should take off everything, don all of your corrective PPEs, and before you come out of that room, they're one-time use. Throw them away. So we're gaining more and more PPEs. I right. know there's still a shortage, but we are gaining more. So things that are more costy, you know, cost, I don't want to say effective, would be to use goggles throughout the, the day. But if you have to go into a COVID room, then put on the face shield. I got you. Things like that. So, so those, when you say we, you're basically saying all assisted living. So we, right. the assisted living environment, is more referring to like they are having this PPE equipment and PPE right. for those of us that don't know what personal protective equipment personal protective equipment yes Got it. all right so it's your goggles your mask your gowns your face shields um I thought it was very interesting we were putting shoe covers on as well um they said that we really didn't have to do that so I thought that was pretty nice to inform right. us because that's a cost saving um, and again, I'm sharing all these things based on what I learned, yeah. you know, through the, through the education, which was, like I said, fantastic. So, um, some of the new things I also learned is the current CDC guidelines. So, you know, when it comes down to isolating, there is a difference between isolation versus quarantine. Okay. Uh, most people are using those words interchangeably. So quarantine yeah, means... I think the same thing. Yeah. I mean, isolation, quarantine, same thing. Yeah, and they're definitely not. Huh. And and right. I actually even said that. I was using them interchangeably, too, so All I right. stand corrected. Uh, quarantining means that you actually have been exposed to someone who has pos COVID positive. Okay, So And you're, you're quarantining. Then you're quarantining to make sure for that prevention. For prevention. Absolutely. Got it. Isolation is where you actually have COVID and you really need to stay there to okay. prevent any further spread. God. So there is a difference in the two two terms so if you become covid positive you would then Isol go from quarantining to isolation correct as per the definitions via the cdc correct ah, all right. correct and to my knowledge to date um if you are actually exposed to someone who is covid positive you would want to quarantine for 14 days mm -hmm. if you are test positive and you are non-symptomatic and or very mild symptoms, you could isolate for 10 days. However, if you have um, comorbidities, what I mean is other diagnoses that could make you more immunocompromised. So if you're more severely immunocompromised, someone who has cancer, who is on chemo, things like that, okay. um, then you would want to isolate for 20 days, actually. 20? Okay. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and so the current with the vaccines coming out because we of course want to see light at the end of the tunnel yeah so yeah. the most recent i actually just saw this on um wish two news uh, an article about it that was put out is that the new cdc guidelines is that um if you have had both your vaccines and you wait two weeks after you've had those two vaccines if you are directly um exposed to someone who is covid positive you do not have to quarantine 
Oh, wow. Okay. So that is like brand new within this week that huh. I've seen. All right. So I thought now that you was really got, interesting. You got the vaccine, right? I did. I know a lot I of did. different people are, are all over the map on some wanting to do it, some not mm-hmm. wanting to do it. And so just, I mean, tell me what did it feel like in your front? I mean, uh, it wasn't bad. You did, did, you did both shots? I did both. You did the two things? So yep. was that the, that was the Pfizer side? Correct. Okay. Correct. So Pfizer, you went in, you got the first shot. Yep. And then what happened? What did it feel like? Uh, actually, it wasn't bad. I didn't really have a huge amount um, of side effects. I was a little nervous. You know, I mean, you hear all these stories and, yeah. and you hear a lot of the negatives. You don't hear the positives yeah. So on the news. So, <laughs> um, well, that's so I was news. a little nervous. Right. But, uh, you know, the first day it was like I got a tetanus shot. So, and actually, I don't think that really started to the very next day. And then two oh, days like after. Sore. Yeah, like it was just very sore. sore. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Um, then on Friday, I was a little, I had got it on a Wednesday. So Thursday, I got a little bit of arm soreness. And then Friday, I was just slightly nauseous. But it wasn't enough to stop me from eating, of course. So, All right. Uh, so I enjoyed know. dinner. It was All good. Right. Um, then after that, I felt fine. Um, and then, you know, I got the second shot. And, and everybody kept telling me. So that was it. From, so from that, well, from the first yep. shot, it was basically two days later. Yep. You're good totally to go. felt great. All right. Felt great. So then fast forward and how long do you have before you're supposed to take that second one it's like another two weeks or something like that uh it's all it's like 21 days got it okay. yeah so like three weeks later um i got the second shot yep. and it was um it wasn't bad either per se but i was also nervous because then i kept hearing well everybody's getting sick on the second shot they're getting more sick on the second shot so i was like oh great you know i just got all my work done i prepped up to be down for a couple right. days <laughs> you know so again got the second shot thursday um, had the arm pain again. Friday, I was quite a bit nauseous. And then I did feel a little, I don't know, I guess a little achy or almost like a very mild, mild flu. Okay. Through the weekend. Got it. Okay, so it lasted a few days. A so couple days. the second days. shot was worse than the first shot. Yeah, it definitely was, but I don't, I don't feel like... Sneezing, blah, head no. congestion, nope. fever, none nope. of that. None of that. Huh. None of that. Just I have light, heard of some flu. people hmm. have had fevers. Right. Uh, a couple of people that I work with, um, they got the second shot, and they did have a little bit more for symptoms, um, body aches, um, slight fever, but then theirs only lasted about 24 hours, and then they felt fantastic. So, you know, I guess it depends on the person. Right. Um, but I feel great now. So, so you're good to go now. Good to go. Uh, nice. Good to go. That means I can get out and work more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So how, I know a lot of times, you know, again, when we're talking about fear and we're talking about this COVID fear and we're talking about senior living environments and we get all the press about families not being able to go in to see their loved ones and mm-hmm. having to wear these suits or being isolated and then just kind of the depression that set in from there, you know, can you kind of speak to the last, say, month, I mean, and some of the things you've seen as it started to open up? Are we starting to get back to normal? Um, uh, can you, is there anything that, that, I mean, should families still be very hesitant on letting a loved one go into a senior living community right now because they're not going to be able to get to their loved one. I know if it was my mom, you know, I'd want to get to see my mom. Absolutely. And so it's just one of those that, I mean, are you feeling that that is still where you're at or that, that, that the industry as a whole is still in that? that uneasy phase no. or do you think we're coming out of the mud pretty good now i think we're starting to come out of the mud a little bit um there are so many options on visitations now you know if you have if you come in a lot of places are, are requiring from what i'm hearing 
um, that you have a negative negative COVID test. Um, and as long as you have that, you can absolutely come in and, and care for your loved one and visit your loved one. It, it needs to be on a scheduled basis. You know, there are certain regs and rules that they got to follow. But I couldn't take mom to dinner at, like, Texas Roadhouse. Uh, believe it or not, they can. Okay. They so absolutely that's fine. can. Yeah, Rock they absolutely on. can. Cool. I, as a nurse, right. say, and I, I recommend to my residents, um, <laughs> <laughs> I tell them that, you know, I most of them, though, have had uh, their second COVID shots. Okay. So I'm just trying to inch them through these two weeks, and then it I'm good with it. But so, once they're, but let's just say they haven't gotten the, they have not gotten the the vaccine, mm-hmm. and and daughter wants to take mom to lunch. I usually try to recommend a, a unique situation. Let's bring lunch to mom, and maybe we could set you up a beautiful outside seating area. Got it. So we're you tap know. dancing around it, so it sounds yeah. like it's still not 100%. It's not 100%. Not definitely okay. not 100%. <laughs> um, but to, to answer your question, you know, in, in the beginning, you know, should loved ones, you know, they should they be come fearful in. Yeah, of, they of placing someone? Yeah, they through windows. Yeah. Right. And, and that's definitely not the case anymore. You okay. know, they shouldn't be fearful about placing them. I think, um, if anything, I encourage them, you know, to do it because... You know, being at home, it's harder to have that oversight, especially if mom or dad live alone. Yeah. Um, it's much harder to have that oversight where in the, you know, in the assisted living setting, there's a lot of oversight. And and I'll just share a personal story, even with my father. Um, and, you know, he passed away recently. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we brought him home from the hospital and COVID was very rampant, within the first three days he was exposed. And that was in his home right, because we had right. people coming in. We had, you know, and what oversight would he have had had, had me and my sisters not been so involved? Okay, that's a good point. And yeah. so, you know, you know, thinking of things from that perspective, mm-hmm. you know, I do recommend don't let COVID be your fear. You know, right. okay. let COVID actually be your driving force to move people in. Okay. I got you because then there is some more oversight there. There's people around right. to be able to help out that type of a right. that type of a piece instead of them being isolated at home and right whatnot. and I then having the piece. risk. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. I think it's getting much more positive though. I think families are understanding a lot more. You know the risks versus the benefits mm-hmm. and. Um, some families still don't fully understand, you know, I want to take my mom or dad out. And, you know, what do you, I, I recently had a, what do you mean if I take mom or dad out, they're going to have to, you know, go under quarantine. Yeah, for 14 days. Yeah. 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 And and then as we're learning things and, and you know, I'm daily on the CDC website. So, um, and talking with the epidemiology who has been so gracious with her time. Um, so I know things have been lightening up. I know on this front too. I had a, a an individual or a family member that had moved into a community here recently, and uh, and was allowed to stay overnight in mm-hmm. the community for mm-hmm. a, a few different days. Yep. So it was one of those that uh, the individual moved in. The, the the son had come in to visit and was allowed to come in and and stay overnight, and then mm-hmm. was able to leave and pick up some groceries and things from the store and come back and yep. continue to stay in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah. just in that, that gave me a, a sense of, of, okay, things are starting to lighten up because Absolutely. if you're allowed to leave, go to the grocery store, come mm-hmm. back into into the community and then stay in the room, Right. you know, it just, obviously there's a risk anywhere, Absolutely. but it was, it just, for me, it's on, okay, 
things yeah. are starting to turn. That right. was something for me because that was coming from a, a, a the administrator had given the approval on that. Absolutely. So like, okay. So, so some of the things that I've seen while I've been out and about is if a loved one wants to come spend the night or wants to isolate with the resident, um, they absolutely can. And so it's not, it's really quarantining, not isolate if we look back at the verbiage. Mm. But um, some of the things that I see is they can, they can be there in the room. They can be with their loved one. But what we can't do is do like, um, allow them to eat in the dining rooms to allow, you know, that other interaction with other residents. Right. You know, we're still being very guided and, and right. cautious, I want to yeah, say, yeah. with that. Right. Makes sense. Um, we have loved ones that have come in from out of state um, in one community that I was at. And the daughter just wanted so much just to lay eyes on mom. And so um, we did an outside visit. They sat six feet socially distanced, wore their masks. Um, they absolutely had a great time. So, I mean, there are ways we can make this work mm -hmm. to where the residents don't have to feel isolated. And then, of course, on the community side of it, keeping them engaged, keeping them in activities and, and keeping their minds going and working helps them tremendously. Well, I know for a while they had shut down even activities. Yeah. They weren't even allowed to like get together to do that kind of thing. And everybody was right. in their room and then getting mm -hmm. everything delivered to the door and whatnot. Yeah. So now activities are coming back. Mm -hmm. I think I went into a community like last week and there was a guy outside on the back porch was playing playing acoustic guitar yep. and i'm like all right there's some life again you know yep. just that's that's pretty that's exciting absolutely that's exciting it, it forced people to get creative with activities which i thought were really unique i saw things um like doorway bingo okay. um, residents would sit at their door and play bingo um we had that's cool yeah we in, had, in the hallway and so you're just calling it down the hall all yep, right yeah absolutely uh another community had a one-man band that was walking around they had balconies outside and i thought that was phenomenal but to see the smile on those residents yeah. faces was amazing yeah i mean you're you just know? stuck in a freaking room for eight yeah. months you're going stir crazy absolutely I mean, that's where it's at, so it had yeah. lasted for me a week so i don't blame the residents yeah a bit. exactly <laughs> i'd have been a bear I'm, after I'm a week peeling the paint off the wall absolutely yeah. <laughs> absolutely so it's it's been unique and challenging but i think at the end of the day i think we've all gotten through it and and i think we've gotten through it because of each other Oh, I, that was going to be one of my next questions because I saw something on a, on, a, on a Facebook post that, uh, that we don't talk about a lot. And it's one of those that, you know, when it comes to the community that it's, you know, obviously, you know, we've had situations where residents have, have gotten COVID and, and passed away as a result. Mm -hmm. But um, what happens when a, a care provider or those that are that are care staff? Are the ones that are that are, are lost that they right. contract COVID and then they pass away and the different dynamics of the the residents wanting to be involved mm -hmm. and uh, it just have you had any experiences on that side of things? Uh, not where we've actually lost an associate, but I can tell you the residents feel um, complete compassion when someone gets COVID and it and it scares them a little bit, yeah. you know. So they want to they want to get involved and they want to do stuff for that individual and things. And of course, you know, we don't do that, but you know, it, it's such a welcoming when they do get to come back. It does put an overall strain on the rest of the building sometimes, not always, but sometimes. But when that person comes back after having COVID, the residents are so delighted. Yeah. So I would imagine that if you lost someone, and, and, and I would think that that would be a, a process for the residents to go through through the grief. Yeah, I just, I just thought about that, and just it was one of those that I saw something, and I was just kind of like, huh, I never, you know, you don't really, right. you're constantly hearing about the residents, right. but 
and yes, there are those that get that that our staff members get sick. But what happens, and what do the teams do when they want to get together to right. to, to discuss or grieve or create or just you know, just do something as a yeah. unit for yeah. that family? Absolutely, you know, it's a it's an interesting time. Mm-hmm. I just like I said, I just wanted to kind of get a, a little bit of a brass tacks of some of the things mm-hmm. that you've been seeing as as you've been you, you primarily work in a lot of the larger. Correct. environments where you've got a, a larger staffs and a larger population of, of right. seniors that are in your community um, have you heard anything from the from the small family type of assisted living community um, I know that they have you know it, it, there's not as much traffic right. in the building right but I know that they get impacted just the same they do um, I didn't know if there have you heard any good bad I have not heard a great deal about the smaller communities. Um, I've tried to reach out to some just that that I've worked with in the past and just say, hello, how are you doing? How are things going? Um, I I do. I think they're just as impacted as us and getting just as creative. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know that. And I know I just, you don't see as much, uh, you don't see the breakout or you don't see the large, you know, sense of, or you don't see a lot of, a lot of the, the whole house getting, getting impacted uh, yes i have not seen it. that yet yeah and so i'm like okay is that a safer environment is it not it just is so it's it's one of those that because we get that question a lot family mm-hmm. members are going hey well because there's so much traffic coming into this larger community does right. it is it a a negative to look into that environment and i'm going well you know if they're running it right i mean obviously right. there's going to be more risk with more people coming in the building right the same token I mean, there are all these rules and regs and things are mm-hmm. put into place for a reason. We've got started to get better at this over time. Absolutely. And so I'm trying to paint that picture for a lot of a lot of families. But at the same token, you get you get thrust into being just completely candid, going, "Well, yeah, there's only five residents that live here, right? And there's a staff of five that rotate to take care of everybody here. Absolutely. So obviously, that's going to be a smaller sample size, and you're you're not going to have as much of a of it's not going the the opportunity is not going to be as great but it's right. still there right so i mean it's kind of like promising that a personal will not fall right in an assisted living in a large community where there's more staff members versus a small one where there's less it's kind of like right. well i could be standing beside you and say i'm going to fall shannon right. and then count to 10 and just pick a number and fall and you're right. not catching me so it's just it's one of those that uh that it's a a a scenario that it's always hard to give real candid advice, advice so i just yeah. wanted to to see if you had any opinion on it all. um i i think each side has its own challenges you know the smaller communities yes there's less traffic but i think there's more um i don't want to say intimacy but like close connections yeah. there's more um and more avenues to not social distance where in the larger communities i think that they have that ability right um you yeah know, having your own apartment it's a whole lot easier uh, versus being in a bedroom absolutely yeah. Yeah. absolutely right. and so i think that each one does have its own challenges um I, I love the big communities and i think it's just because um i think they're, they're, they're yeah yeah <laughs> i absolutely did and i love the smaller ones too because for some residents that is they thrive there versus yeah, a larger absolutely. community yeah so I don't want to. I don't want to say that I don't prefer the smaller ones. I think every situation is unique and different. And and since the start of COVID, I have I have always said it's not if you get it, it's when. 
you know, when you get a case or when you get, it's what you do with that information and following what we're supposed to be following um, is what's going to make or break you. So are there any websites or places that people may be able to go and check to see out some of this information or do they call us or I mean, what? how, how would people get their hands on some of this? Because like the CDC guidelines and going into the the monstrosity of a oh, website absolutely. that it is to try to find anything that's candid that you right. and I can understand that's not Greek absolutely. as we're trying to un- interpret it, you know, as a general layman out there. And the, Well, let me show you where I get all mine. Okay. Okay. So first and foremost, I always monitor ACA's website. Okay. So I go to ACA's website. What I go is to- that? That is Agency for Healthcare Administration. Okay. Got so it. they're our governing body. <laughs> so and I what's go- that oh, website? It It is... Um, is that the FloridaHealthFinder.gov? Yes, that's one of them. Okay. You can get in through there, and then mm-hmm. at the top of that column, you can see um, yeah, location of facilities, and you have different right. options. So I go in there, and I look under the assisted living piece. Okay. And that'll actually help you with the most recent executive orders, or emergency orders, not executive orders, I apologize. Um, you know, I look at that first. Because they're going to look at what is the regs right now. What are the emergency orders? What are we supposed to be doing? So type ACA into Google. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. And they will come up. Got it. And then you just go through their website. They do have a search engine. So you can type in COVID and it will bring you anything you need. Um, the next website and sometimes ACA's website will take you to this website. ACA is A-H-C-A. Yes. Yes. Got yes. it. Yes. Just saying it for the people out there. I know. I right don't think it. about that. I think about all the... <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm so used to saying it. Right. All right. So then sometimes it'll actually take you to the Department of Health's website Kay. for different answers. Um, they uh, they refer a lot back to the Department of Health. So the Department of Health, Florida Department of Health, is a wealth of knowledge on COVID. Um, and so the, they also keep the most recent recommendations and they get their recommendations from the cdc so those are my three because those obviously they're very legitimate resources um i don't pay attention to a lot of other things that are said or done um, unless it's through those three so the three was aca aca the agency for healthcare administration yep there's one the doh florida doh which is florida department of health got it and then there's the cdc website the cdc itself perfect yes yes Yes. so those are the three that i get all my information from um and i read um and i try to check them every day so because things are ever evolving and that's i think that's one of the big things that i hear from administrators is they're constantly changing it and it's well no a lot of us aren't reading it to begin with (laughs) Because I know, honestly, I did not at first. Right. So I, I Again, learned hard and quick. You start getting into this this, yep. this tsunami of of different regs and whatnot. It just it gets to be too much and we it just does. get bored. It's kind it of does. like, okay, I, are we going to have any meat on this bone or what? So. Absolutely. And I've been known to pull the emergency order and sit down and highlight what don't I know? What didn't I know? <laughs> right. and, and just so it sticks. Um, because there is so much that does ever change. Right. Well, guys, if you're out there and you've got any questions and you can't find it on any of the sites that, that Shannon's speaking about, don't hesitate to feel free to reach out to us here as well. Uh, we do want to wrap this up a little bit, just kind of put a close on on this specific episode. We will be bringing Shannon back here over the next you know couple of weeks to just uh, talk about some different pieces and different expertise areas that she has. But outside of that, I'm just going to say, hey, this is Troy Denault with Sotir, Senior Living and Family Advocates. Shannon Wilcox, thank you very much for coming in. Appreciate you coming in. And guys, we'll see you next time.